I'm going to ask you a question about something you may remember from being a kid. And that question is this. How many of you watched Popeye the Sailor Man growing up? Yes, Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye has been an American icon for almost 100 years now, as hard as that is to believe. Popeye, Bluto, or Brutus, depending upon which era you grew up in. Same person, except they switched it eventually where they were brothers. You had olive oil, you had wimpy, gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. And you had the whole setup of Popeye, this guy with gigantic forearms and a guy who sold spinach to actually be something we're supposed to eat. This is who he is. You know that actually when Popeye introduced spinach as his source of superhuman strength, spinach sales went up 33% because that's the only way spinach sales are going to go up. I'll tell you that right now. Generally, or I guess if you mix it with artichoke dip, that'll help for this afternoon as we've already talked about that. But generally, spinach would be squeezed from the can and it would shoot up out of the can and into his mouth and he would get this strength because he would do it because he's being bullied by Bluto or by Brutus. And that superhuman strength would come over him and he would just knock them out. But it was... At a time in the commercial or, or in the cartoon, it, it didn't just happen up front. There was a point that he tolerated Bluto or Brutus too, but when he reached that point, he couldn't take it anymore. Do you guys remember what he would say? He would say these words, that's all I can stands and I can't stands it no more. That's all I can stands and I can't stands it no more. Have you ever been to that place in your life where there is one of those things that you have tolerated to a point but now you can't stand it no more maybe it's a little thing maybe it's the kids arguing in the back seat and you're like that's it pull the car over okay maybe you've heard that I've heard that a time or two in my life I've said it a time or two in my life now there's also the annoying thing that somebody's doing and you're like it's like nails on a chalkboard and you're just like I'm tolerating I'm tolerating I can't tolerate it anymore and you just kind of lose it then there's big things things that lead you to do something that's outside of the status quo that thing that that is placed in your heart by God because you have this holy discontent that's inside of you in your heart the way things that are versus the way the things should be that that time where you you switch the real question is is how much can you tolerate Or even more so, how much will you tolerate until you say, I can't stand it no more? That word tolerate. Maybe we need to look at it a little bit closer. Because it's a word that we see quite often today. It's a word that's actually morphed over the last handful of years. In today's society, to be tolerant is one of the greatest virtues that we can have. But in the context that we are talking today, there's an old definition of tolerance and there's a new definition of tolerance. And the old definition of tolerance meant that you could completely disagree with somebody, that you could completely disapprove of somebody's beliefs. You can disapprove of their values. You disapprove of their lifestyle. And you know what? You could still show proper respect to them. You could still actually get along with them even though the truth of the matter is they were different than you. 
You could still have a civil conversation as long as they weren't going nuts, as long as they weren't breaking all sorts of laws in the process. No matter how crazy their beliefs were, you could tolerate them. But we've had this morph of a definition and that definition continues to evolve even as we speak today. This definition says it's not just putting up with somebody that is different with you. Now you're expected to accept and approve of those behaviors and beliefs that are different than yours and even affirm them as normal, as wacky as they may be. And it's gone so far to say that if you're not tolerant, we're going to tag this word phobia onto you. And, And you're going to have a fear about you. If you take a stand, we're going to say that you hate or even stranger, and I don't quite grasp this thinking yet, they'll call you racist. If you have convictions, you're a bigot. If you hold to Christian doctrines of old, you're a discriminator. This is where tolerance has morphed into, and the sad reality is, even though we call it a new definition, this is anything but new. If you look at the culture of Rome, especially right before it fell, you're going to see all of the same patterns that we even see today this new definition of toleration of immoral behavior, of, of corruption, of the sanctity of marriage being destroyed, of the sanctity of life being thrown aside and accepted as okay. The question is, is how does the church deal with it? How does the church respond to these type of things? Do we stand strong and be considered a discriminator, to be considered hating, to be considered a bigot, and lose our numbers because our numbers don't like to stand for the truth as much? Or do we cave into the world's pressures? Do we cave into the world's ways so we can remain that word relevant? What do we do? And if we do cave in and remain relevant, what are the results? What happens when the church, or even us as individuals that make up the church, love the world more than God? What happens when we become tolerant to the immorality that is outside the church, but even more so tolerant to the immorality that finds its way inside the church? I can tell you the quick answer is found in today's passage. And I will tell you it is this. We will become known to Jesus as the place of the so-called secrets of Satan. That's not something that we want. When the church and us as individuals become more tolerant of the world and less tolerant of God's holiness, I'll tell you what, we are in trouble. If, if we as a church say, I can't stand it no more because God is too hard, instead of I can't stand it no more because society is such a mess, we are in trouble. We need to be with the heart of God instead of against the heart of God. And I think we see this in our seven letters to the churches in Revelation. And what we can learn from it is, is really seen as we've been talking about it. Today we're in week six, but week four of our letters. And in week four of our letters, we are in Revelation chapter two, and letter number four goes to a church called Thyatira. And I'll be honest with you, I will probably tongue-tie that a couple of times in saying it because the other ones are easy. Ephesus, Pergamum, Smyrna, easy. Roll right off the tongue. Thyatira is one I'm going to probably spray a lot, actually, while I'm talking as well. So those of you guys in the front row, be prepared. Here's where we're at. Week six, letter four. We're in the middle of the seven letters. A lot of scholars actually believe that this letter is actually the heart and the center of all of the letters that are written to all of the churches. It's also believed to be the most severe letter. It's at the height of the progression. You can see the progression if you look back at Ephesus. 
Ephesus starts off with, hey, you're doing all the right things, but you're not doing it for the right reason. You're not doing it out of the love for Jesus. When you lose your love for Jesus, something else will attract that love. Something else will pull you in, and namely, it's going to be the world. And it's going to affect, and it's going to infect the way you live your life and the way the life of the church is played out. You jump to Smyrna. Smyrna was doing things right. They were fighting hard against the oppression and the persecution and the opposition. The world and Satan was trying to break them down. What happens when you give in? Well, Pergamum was there. They were also fighting hard. They were holding on to the faith right in the middle of what Jesus called, as we talked about last week, Satan's throne. But they were compromising their morals. In the process of compromising their morals, we might say they were flirting. They were, they were flirting with idolatry. They were flirting with immorality. Excuse me. And they hadn't jumped quite into bed with the world yet, but they were being tempted and enticed pretty hard to follow them back to their room. We find ourselves today at Thyatira. And as we look at Pergamum flirting, Thyatira was full-on practicing adultery. They had made the trip back to the room. And if we can, one thing that we can see in this progression of each church along the way compromising with the world leads to tolerance of sin but Jesus has called his church to be a pure and holy set apart institution not one that is going to flirt with sin not one that is going to invite sin in and Jesus has all he can stand and guess what he can't stand it no more so he writes letter number four if you have your bibles with you I would love for you to open the book of revelation chapter two and in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 29. And as we've done, if you're able, if you would stand with me as we read this one. This is a letter to Thyatira. It says these words starting in verse 18. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know your last works are greater than your first, but I also have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teacher and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat meats sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless... They repent of, their, of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold these teachings, who have not known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works, to the end I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter, and he shall shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to dive into it. I pray you speak to us, not from my mouth, but from your heart. And speak to us into our hearts that we may change our ways and follow closer to you. We pray it in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thanks for standing with me. As every other week, we're going to go through the seas. Our alliteration of the seas, that is the church or the city 
That is Christ, that's commendation, that's criticism, that's correction, and that's challenge or reward. And actually, in that challenge and reward, we have one more C that's going to be called the crown today. Now, first we're going to look at C, the city, the church, the city of Thyatira. Smallest of the seven cities that is there. Actually quite insignificant in comparison to all the others. But here's the thing, they get the longest letter. One of the things that kind of points out to me as I see that is the fact that even big issues can happen in small cities. Even big issues can happen in small churches. The city was known for its commerce, wool, linen, and purple dye. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the book of Acts chapter 16, you'll see Paul leads a woman by the name of Lydia to Jesus. Lydia, if you know anything about Acts 16, if you are with us a couple of months ago and remember it, she sold purple fabric from Thyatira. Some historians actually believe that she was influential in getting this church off the ground. There wasn't a lot of big temple worship like we've talked about in the other cities, but they did worship Apollo as well as Artemis. Their big practice actually came from a thing called a trade guild, what we might call labor unions. See, no other city in the Providence of Asia had nearly as many trade guilds as Thyatira did. These trade guilds, they trained workers, but they also protected specialized trade secrets like the purple dye. And they did all of this as a tight group. They, they were very well connected. And as we're going to see, these guilds actually were a major force in the city. Now, I didn't grow up in the 70s. I was born in the 70s, but I know that there was big time trade things that took place and, and all the different labor unions and there's always labor strikes and union strikes. There was a lot of power in the union just as much here in these guilds as we're going to see. And as we see, they're going to have a major influence on the church at Thyatira. Now the town still does exist today in modern day Turkey. It's actually called Akazar, which means White Castle. You know why it's called that? Well, they say, serve these tasty little sliders no, I'm kidding. That's not the original. Actually, they found artifacts there. But in the process of that, this is the city that we're dealing with. Next is our C is Christ. Look what Christ says to them. Write to the angel of the church at Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. There's three statements in that I want you to see. The first one is Son of God. As you see Son of God, it's the only time Jesus refers to himself as the son of God in the book of Revelation. All the other times are son of man. So he busts out the big title here because there's some big problems going on and he wants them to know exactly who he is. As a matter of fact, he can see everything. That's that fiery eyes. The eyes that are of a flame, he can see through. We talked about it very first week. You don't get to blow smoke with Jesus. He is going to see through our false front that we like to put up he knows everything and you know what we know we can fool a lot of people we know we can fool a lot of people in our church we even know we can fool ourselves sometimes because sometimes we're the best salesmen but you can't fool God and he's making sure they know that you can't fool the son of God God sees us as we are and he sees our hearts down to the deepest darkest hidden parts he knows us he knows what we believe he knows what we teach and he also knows what we tolerate then you have this bronze feet. The bronze feet is an image of judgment. It's an image of purification. Jesus is the one who was going to mold us into who he wants us to be. But in order for us to do that, the old must go. 
no matter how tightly we want to hold on to our sin our previous life it's got to go and it's got to go because he wants us to grow in holiness and the only way that's going to happen is if we get rid of the junk in our lives and we allow him to do the work in us he wants us to grow in his righteousness he wants us to grow in our convictions he wants us to remove the compromise and those so-called secrets of satan that's what christ wants for us he wants to hold on to or hold fast to his ways instead of being complacent and compliant with the ways of the world he wants the church here to do that he wants the church at thyatira to do that as well and it would seem some were doing that very well as a matter of fact if you look from the outside it was more than some the church was doing great and that's when we come to the commendation the commendations listen to what jesus says i know your works your love your faithfulness service endurance i know that your last works are greater than the first you know this is the only church that is recognized by jesus for their love what a great thing to tie into on valentine's day weekend completely coincidental had no plan to do that but completely coincidental and that love i know your love it leads to service it leads to ministry remember ephesus their love didn't lead to that it was just them doing it so this is a great thing for them and not only that i know your faith which leads to endurance and we point back at smyrna they endured because of their faith these are good things and not only are they good things they're actually growing in these things he says i know that your works now are bigger and better than they were at first these guys are active in their community they're serving they're taking care of those in need they're doing the things the bible called us to do and they're not doing it out of obligation they're doing it out of love they didn't have a problem with faith they didn't have a problem with ministry they endured in the face of trials and their church and their ministry were growing that, that's amazing stuff that's amazing stuff as a matter of fact this is a church i think you would want to invite your friends to they probably had all the programs they probably had plenty of volunteers they didn't have to have anybody rush to fill in they had people who were nice i mean they were known for their love right the atmosphere really welcoming but there was a problem and there's a problem it's a cancer called sin and that sin a lot of times just like cancer in our real lives we go to the doctor something just doesn't quite feel right we find out something bigger and worse than we ever could have thought it's a cancer eating us from the inside sin was doing that to this church but the problem was they were okay with it and they were tolerating it you might say that their greatest strength was love but also their greatest weakness was love and we're going to dive into that just a little bit more and that's where the criticism comes in from jesus says these words in verse 20 but i have this against you you tolerate the woman jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols all the good stuff you've got going on is being overshadowed by this this woman calling herself a prophetess a prophetess is a mouthpiece of god so she is taking on the role notice how jesus didn't call her a prophetess she's calling herself one that's something we need to see right up front and this isn't an actual person probably named jezebel nobody names their kids jezebel anymore there's probably a lot more people out there called moonbeam than there is called jezebel because jezebel is just not a name that that fits real well here's the thing 
It's probably a reference to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16 through 1 Kings chapter 21. King Ahab had a wife by the name of Jezebel. And he's probably referring back to her because she was a daughter of a pagan priest that worshipped Baal and brought her religious practices with her when Ahab brought her to Israel. Now, there's a whole lot more we could probably go into with this, but I'm just going to leave it here. Ahab didn't step up and do the things he was called to do as a leader. And so you know what? There's a leadership vacuum. And Jezebel jumped into that. She filled the void. She stepped in and basically ran Israel, and she turned Israel away from God to idol and Baal worship, to idolatry and immorality. Like I said, there's a lot more we can get into, but I think you get the picture of the reference of what Jesus is saying. This woman in the church claimed to be the mouthpiece of God, and she taught the church to compromise. She taught the church to be complacent, and she taught the church to be compliant to the things of this world. And when this sin and other sins like it come into the church, and the church doesn't deal with it, there's some real issues. When they tolerate it, we have problems. And the reality was, is her teaching misled God's servant to go into sexual immorality. Her teachings led them to eat the food, sacrifice to eat idols. And you know what? The people followed the people like sheep all we like sheep have gone astray each of us to our own ways she's just helping lead them and claiming to be a mouthpiece of God the question is, is how did it happen how did it get to this place then there's two things that I can see right away and the first one is this remember I told you about those trade guilds and the power they really had over the city well commentators agree to have any success in Thyatira, you had to be a part and belong to one of these labor unions, one of these trade guilds. And that presented problems within the church. A commentator by the name of William Barclay said it this way. These guilds met frequently, and they met for a common meal. Such a meal was at least in part a religious ceremony. It would probably meet in a heathen temple, and they would certainly begin with a libation to the gods, and the meal itself would largely consist of meats offered to idols. So you have this gathering and everybody had to come together for their weekly meetings and you would basically praise the God of the guild and you would drink to the God of the guild and you would eat the meats that were sacrificed to the God of the guild. All things that were against what you should do but if you wanted to operate in Thyatira you had to be a part of one of these. Now you see the conflict. Well on top of all that because of the sexual nature of these gods probably sexual immorality followed up these meals on top of it all so you see a real place of contradiction a real place of tension here for the church how could the christian survive in this particular environment guess what jezebel had the answer and it was easy it was easy and, and that's probably the the term we need to hold on to the most it was easy see god's a god of grace god's a god of forgiveness he's a loving and kind god he understands he's tolerant those are all truths about God, but if we love that too much and forget that he's a God of justice, we get out of balance. And she was throwing that out there. So she had an answer that everybody liked. Everybody listened to her. And guess what? Everybody followed her. But the problem here is that's a voice of compromise. That's a voice really of surrender. That's a voice saying, well, you got to do what you got to do. That's a voice saying that sometimes you have to do evil in order to accomplish good. It's a voice that says, well, the Bible's the Bible, but life is life, and life is more important. So we're only going to take the Bible for what we like from it, not from the parts we don't like. 
That is a voice that's coming out. I thought about that as she calls herself a mouthpiece of God. Can you imagine Daniel saying these things? Well, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, I'm going to do this, but I don't want to upset the, the governmental people. He probably would have never gotten thrown into a lion's den, right? Rackshack and Benny never would have got thrown into the fire. But these, are the, these are the things that, that we have to understand. Think about Paul. Think about John, real mouthpieces of God. Think about Esther. When you look at the story of Esther, do you think that it would have happened that way if she was, had a voice of compromise? No, their voice was a voice of conviction. And we have to have that voice. See, the teachings that happen and the people that follow, they were doing it because it was easier. They were doing it because they wanted to keep their jobs. They were doing it because they wanted to hold on to their income. They wanted to stay connected with culture. So they compromised. And the compromising teaching of Jezebel, Jezebel made everyone happy. And it was accepted. So let's just do it. The problem is that's a slippery slope. And that's how all of this begins to happen. But see, Jezebel's not the only problem here. The other part of the problem is, I said there's two parts that I see. First was Jezebel and the trade guilds. Second, though, is the church at Thyatira. They are the problem. They do nothing to stop this woman. They do nothing to stop her teaching. They don't stand up for anything. He says, you tolerate that woman. Basically what Jesus is saying is, you know what she's doing. You know what she's teaching. You know how that teaching is having effect on the church and everything else, and you're not doing anything about it. You are the problem. And this is where the love at the church of Thyatira goes wrong. Remember I said it was their greatest strength but also their greatest weakness? See, they loved peace more than they loved the truth. They loved goodwill more than good theology. They loved acceptance more than accuracy. And the problem we see here is, is that we still see it today. We still see it today. It's a description of too many places that call themselves a church. A Christian church at that. Tolerance and acceptance are prime values and truth is left behind. That, that shouldn't be the case. Churches like this, they struggle to answer simple doctrinal questions. Simple questions because they didn't hold on to their foundational beliefs. They didn't hold on to the foundational truth. They began to ask questions and Jezebel had an answer they liked so they listened to it. Questions like, is Jesus really the only way? Yes, he is. Jezebel compromises that. Is sex before marriage wrong? Yes, it is. But Jezebel compromises that. Is sex outside of marriage wrong? Absolutely. But Jezebel compromises that. Is Jesus really the incarnate Son of God? You better believe it. But Jezebel compromises that. Did God really create all of this? 100%. But Jezebel compromises that. Is gender just a matter of the mind? Jezebel compromises that. The Thyatira church started to be okay with compromise and now is too complacent and too compliant to stop corruption and disruption that this woman's causing they are choosing Jezebel over Jesus that is a problem so Jesus steps in a correction the correction comes and in fact he already has stepped in he had that blazing eyes he had the burning feet of fire the 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 bronze feet judgment's coming Judgment is coming. But before we even jump to the conclusion of the judgment, let's look at the text and what he says in verse 21. I gave her time to repent. But does she not want to repent of her sexual immorality? 
Look, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines the minds and the hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. I want you to see this in the text. Before judgment comes grace. Before judgment comes grace. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. God wants to reconnect. They have time, but they don't have forever. So they have to make a choice, and that choice is is to repent or not. The text makes it clear that she's not going to repent. She doesn't want to repent, and she's actually teaching them not to repent either because repentance means turning away from my ways to God's ways. And I want to take just a second here. I want to take just a second here because as we're in this passage, as a church, I want you to know this about Paragon Church. If you were a sinner, you are welcome here. If you are struggling with sexual sin, you are welcome here. If you're struggling with anger, you are welcome here. If you're struggling with homosexuality, you are welcome here. If you're struggling with any sort of addiction, you are welcome here. However, there's one thing you must know. We won't be celebrating your sin. We won't be affirming your sin because Jesus is in the business of life change. He's changed my life and he's changing your lives and he's going to continue to do that. Just like our slogan says, come as you are. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Come as you are, but then be changed by Jesus, by the love of Jesus, by him working in your heart. Our goal in this life is not to live for ourselves. Our goal in this life is to be changed by Jesus, turned from our ways to his ways, the repentance, and give up our selfish desires. It's to live for Christ to lay down our desires and follow him, to become more like him. That is what we are here for. Our goal as a church is to help you accomplish that, both through the love of Christ and through a thing called discipleship, walking one-on-one with you. See, we have to remember the love of the Father, as we call it love, doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want. The love of the Father, just like how I love my children, will also include correction and even discipline at times when necessary that's what we see here we must be willing to change no matter how hard it might be we have to be more like him and we went to the concert on friday night with the toby mac hits deep and kane was there and maybe it's a song you've heard on the radio but yes he did and yes he can he can move any mountain he can part any sea yes he did yes he can if you ever think god can't do that with me yes he did and yes he can but we have to be willing to give up the compromise on the truth give up the 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 false teachings that are dragging us away and follow after christ and i'm going to tell you for the change to happen we need god we 100 percent need god if god doesn't intervene in our selfish ways we will self-destruct we will self-destruct i was just talking with reese yesterday i am not a science nerd but I do remember a couple of things from high school science. One of them is the three laws of thermodynamics. The first one says is that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Quantity never changes. But the second one tells us that quality will. And that is the fact that anything that exists, that has been created, will deteriorate over time. It will deteriorate over time without, without an outside influence moving in. It will move to destruction the great thing is God is our outside influence 
He's the one that will move, and with him interviewing or intervening, it will change us and bring us from destruction. But without him, we will become like culture, and culture is not getting any better. We need to repent. We need God. We need the gospel. We need to remain faithful to both. Jezebel didn't want that. Jezzy and her crew, they wanted nothing to do with it. They weren't going to repent. They weren't going to turn to the truth. So here's the results. Here's what it says. First, she's going to be thrown onto a bed of suffering. I love the play on words here. A bed. She's immoral. Where did a moral woman go? To a bed for pleasure. He's going to put her in a bed for pain. It's kind of just a fun thing. I'm sick. Sorry. <laughs> Second thing, those who follow her teachings are going to suffer great affliction. And the third thing, her children, her devoted followers will be killed. You want right to the point. We don't have to decipher. We don't have to try and figure out what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to crush this false teaching in my, in my church. That's what he says. And he's going to do it in such a way that all the churches are going to take notice that God is a God of judgment just as much as he is a God of love. There's a balance there. He is perfect in who he is. Seeing all of our attention on Jezebel and her followers, I don't want to forget the people at the church, though, at Thyatira, that stood firm. There were those who didn't cave. There were people who did not compromise, people of conviction, people who remained faithful and true. And no doubt, it was a battle. It had to have been a battle. It's always a battle to stand up for truth in a sinful world. You must know that. But Jesus looks at this church at Thyatira, and not only does he see the heresy, but he sees these saints. He sees the saints that are standing true and listen to what he says to them in verse 24. Here's more of that challenge. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to his teachings, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on. Those two words. Maybe your verse says, hold fast. Cling to. I know things are tough hold on. I know things are crazy. Hold on. I know temptations are everywhere. Hold on. I know compromise is literally at every turn. Hold on. He's saying it. As we look at this letter, we have to understand Thyatira stands as a constant reminder, even today, of what a compromising, complacent church with liberal theology looks like and where it's headed. A church full of people who believe in Christ for salvation, but not for sanctification. I don't really like hell, so I'm going to keep believing that, but I don't really want to change, so I'm going to keep believing this. That's what we see here. A church who wants to appease the world rather than God. A church who has become tolerant of sin, but intolerant to the truth of Jesus. This is where we find Thyatira. Check out the rest of the challenge. Verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Overcomers, hold on. Why hold on? Well, it's a place of waiting in Jesus Christ in the strength of Jesus Christ. You know, one evidence of true faith is our ability to endure in Christ. We'll be with Christ in the kingdom forever over all the nations. Let me ask you a question. Is there a perfect nation, perfect place here on this earth to live? 
The answer is absolutely not. Even in what is known as what the greatest land, the United States, we are filled with corruption. We are filled with immorality. We are filled with injustice. Let me tell you this. The government is not our moral compass. Let me tell you this. Hollywood is not our moral compass. As a matter of fact, both of those groups are running completely in the opposite direction of God. Our world is a mess. Where is our hope? It's found in Jesus. Plain, simple, period, is found in Jesus. That's what the whole book of Revelation has been about. Jesus Christ pointing to our hope that is in Him. Here's that challenge. Here's the reward that comes from it. We have a promise and we have His presence. His promise and His presence. See, Jesus promises us as well as them that things are not always going to be as they are now. Evil will not always be a force to be encountered. There's going to come a time, as it talks about here, as it refers back in that verse to Psalm 2, that's literally going to be fulfilled. The Son will be seated on His thrones. The nations who have mocked and rebelled Jesus will come to an end. They will be beaten. Evil will be beaten. Christ will reign, and all the saints are going to reign with Jesus. That's where that extra seed crown comes in. We are going to have the crown of righteousness. Righteousness will be everywhere. And there's a second thing promised to the faithful at Thyatira, his presence. I will also give him the morning star. That morning star is Jesus. That morning star is Jesus. You might say, well, they have Jesus now, don't they? Yes, they do. But like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see through a dark glass. Soon we're going to see face to face. As he says in Romans chapter 8, we simply right now have the first fruits. We only have a taste of what's to come. Aren't you excited about that? Don't we find our hope in that? So here's my thing for you today. You and I are like the church at Thyatira. That is a fact. We are confronted with a choice. Who are you going to listen to? Who will we follow? Who is it going to be? Jesus or Jezebel? Jesus or Jezebel? See, I already told you. Jezebel, she's a beaut. Her message sounds good. You can have it all. You can have adultery and purity at the same time. You can have lying and truth at the same time. You can be a God and have a God at the same time. You can have Jesus and everything else too. Does that sound like any churches that maybe still even exist today? Absolutely. It's a sad reality, but it's an absolute reality. Here's the bigger absolute reality. Proverbs 14, 12, when Solomon says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is death. On the other hand, there's Jesus. His message is simple and it's straightforward. You know what it is? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's your choice. Jezebel or Jesus. What in today's society makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange? What voice is trying to point you in that direction? Because if you're listening to it, you need to repent. What voice are you listening to? What voice are you following? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and thank you for your word and thank you for your love. Because even as we look at this passage, we can't forget the grace and the mercy and the love that you had by allowing us to repent through your son, Jesus Christ. You could have very easily said, forget it all and wiped us all off the planet and there's nothing we could have done about it. But instead, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, for our lives. 
to be restored and redeemed so that we could have an eternal relationship with you. God, we give you all the praise this morning for that because we didn't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. As a matter of fact, like that second law of thermodynamics, we were headed in a destruction, uh, destination of destruction. But you stepped in. Thank you for that. There's anybody in this room that, that has never trusted your son Jesus as Savior. I pray today is that day. To understand why you did what you did, we could never fully wrap our minds around it other than the fact of Father's love for his children. Help us to grasp that, that this Valentine's weekend. For those who are standing strong, I pray for the strength to hold on. For those who are following after the Jezebel, I pray for the strength to repent. We pray it in your name. Amen.